Welcome to the Homeschool Mama Self-Care Show. If you are a homeschool mama challenged by doubt, not sure you can do this homeschool thing, if you're a homeschool mama challenged by overwhelm, there are just too many things to do, or if you're a homeschool mama looking for community, connection, and encouragement, then this is the podcast for you. I'm Teresa Wiedrich from CapturingTheCharmLife.com, and I'm here to encourage you that you can reframe your challenges and maybe even turn them into charms. So welcome, Homeschool Mama. Today, I get to introduce you to Dustin Eagleston. Dustin is a practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine. She guides her patients carefully back to a place of health and balance. She says the body knows how to do this. Sometimes it just needs a little nudge in the right direction. She had a lifelong dream to practice Chinese medicine, and she graduated from the Dr. TCM program at the Academy of Classical Oriental Sciences. She's a practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine and also draws on her vast life skills of traveling, mountain biking, adventure racing, ski mountaineering, backcountry skiing, rock climbing, yoga practicing, and has a great passion for everything outdoors. You will not be surprised to discover that this multi-talented lady also was a homeschooled child who presently is parenting an 18-month-old daughter named Charlotte. So welcome, Dustin. Pleasure to chat with you all the way across town. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. It's nice to see an unmasked face. <laughs> yes, that too. Yeah. Actually, I I might have been part of helping to create the mask thing in our town, but I only own one mask. Go figure. Wow. Yeah, which is probably a sign I'm not getting out enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. So I'm so glad you're here. You have given me so many different ideas of how we can discuss things because you've got such an interesting background. You are a homeschooled child all grown up. And yeah. I just, I mean, you're a new mom. So you get to be part of that phase of parenting that I've been exploring lately for other homeschool moms that I kind of forget to be truthful, it yeah. actually happens where it, it zooms by. And then there's the other aspect is your work is very much a self-care focus for everybody. And actually, I should tell you, I should be in the office right now. I told my husband that I was coming to um, chat with you. And he's like, why didn't you book an appointment with her yet? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can you do it from afar? Yeah, always. <laughs> yeah. always message me. <laughs> So for those that don't know you, would you share a little bit about you? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Dustin Eagleston. I grew up homeschooled in northern Vermont. I am now a practicing Chinese medicine practitioner and a new mom of my daughter who's 18 months. The fun age. Oh, that's, that's such a what, fun age. What a fun age. Constantly yeah. watch them. Oh, yeah. Her language acquisition has just exploded in the last month. And it's been neat to see her confidence build with communication and knowing how to ask for things and ask for help. And it's a really, really fun age. Yeah, yeah. the way they say things, you just got to write it down because it's so funny. I know. Such cute stuff that they come up with. And they still smell good, mostly. Mostly <laughs> when they have a puke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. They smell their head. They're still cute. Yeah, really adorable clothes. Yes, and still portable. Yes, somewhat. portable. Yes. So, yeah. Except that in my experience, at least my firstborn, whose birthday is today, actually. She's oh, my goodness. Happy, yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah, I know. It's very exciting. And yet I remember, I remember the toddler years because of her. And she was busy. Like, she was so busy. And everybody would say, just wait until you have a boy. And I was like, this is not possible. And turns out I was right about that because she was very busy. And I had a boy who was a lot less busy than her and two other girls that were really quiet. But anyways, busy stage, lots of fun. And yes, you're alone and you have quiet time right now, but I bet you don't always get quiet time. No, very rarely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I feel I feel yeah. After bedtime, really. Yes. Is quiet time. 
That's when I learned that I, I was going to bed too late. Like I would let time go until midnight. I'm like, I need quiet time, but then it would rob me of sleep in the morning. And then it would be a little more scattered or grouchy or whatever. It depends on the day. And I wasn't quite as available for the kids, you know, for the kids at that time. Um, that was harder. That's a really hard time that stage to get sleep. It is. And I find I'm not particularly, mm, uh, aggressive with my quiet time in the evening. Like I'm pretty happy if it doesn't work out, I just kind of let it go because I do need my sleep. So, you know, if I have time to do 20 minutes of yoga, that's a win. And if I don't, then I'm at peace with that too. <laughs> I'm just Why? heading straight to bed because I, lady? yeah, it's, it's yeah. not productive time for me. I'm more of a morning person. So I think after many years of working at a bakery and having shifts start at 4am, my, yeah. my circadian rhythm is forever shifted. So, you know, I worked at a bakery actually and started at uh, not quite four, but it was really early too. So that's wow. interesting. That did not shift me though. I was no. like, where is my sleep as soon as I could get it? Yeah. And then when I had my first child, I thought, is this, is this real? Is this possible that you could be this exhausted and they would still need you to wake up? And yes, they do. Isn't it amazing? You look back at time before being a parent and you're like, I had no idea what tired was. No, <laughs> everybody kept saying you, yeah. you should get your sleep before your baby's born. But I'm like, I'm so uncomfortable. I'm not sleeping right now. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, that kind of yeah. lack of sleep. <laughs> okay. The kind where I'm like, is this humanly possible to do this? Barely. Really. But you're <laughs> still really. going to do it. You enter a sort of zombie state, you know? <laughs> just survival. This has been a really big 18 months for you. Yes, definitely. Well, I think for all of us, you know, looking back at the calendar. um, I was thinking of your baby, not the year, but actually, I know double whammy here. Yeah. 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 But it's been, it's been absolutely magical. I'm so grateful for the experience and it challenges you in so many unforeseen ways. And I, I think I really relish in the unpredictability of it and also kids are so fun they're yes. so curious they're so honest and they're so transparent with their feelings and where they're where they are in the moment and as adults we get a bit refined in who we are or who we think we want to be or who we've become and I I really just love the unpredictable transparency of it <laughs> it's really refreshing I was thinking to myself were you the firstborn of your four siblings and you just answered my question oh you weren't right right I'm a I'm a twin yeah okay because you just said that you're flexible and we firstborns are not very flexible oh (laughs) I see that is amazing that you have that figured out already because that seriously took me 20 years (laughs) and I am I am a mom of 20 years today (laughs) Yes, congratulations on yes. that, by the way. Well, I mean, you you momentarily discussed surrendering your type A earlier. And uh, I think there are certain personalities that lend, lend themselves more easily to spontaneity. And there's other personalities where it's really uncomfortable and difficult. And whether that's how we grew up or how we evolved, it's hard to say. But uh, maybe I had a leg up in terms of that early on. That is amazing. Okay, so I attribute it to the firstborn, but I'm sure there's many other factors. Um, You grew up in a family of four. You're one of three sisters and a brother. Am I remembering? You know what? I'm one of a twin, actually. I have a twin sister. Yeah, I I don't know. I'll delete that. Why do you think that? (laughs) I don't know. I was just reflecting on how you were telling me about how you where you grew up and how school was such a great thing for you. Um, No, but I am a I'm one of a twin, two girls, we're fraternal. And then I have a half sister in North Carolina who I unfortunately haven't seen in a long time. So. Oh, that's really funny. I'm not quite sure how I remember that so differently, yeah. but I had to like, this is what I remember. Right. Um, you were in part of the United States when um, homeschooling was like, that was the place that you did. Fair, people did fairly traditional homeschooling, but then yes. they kind of moved into um 
uh, what kind of an unschooling focus. There's a lot of people in that area anyways that had a uh, John Holt, John Taylor Gatto, all those folks. Right. Uh, yeah, but you you were of the pioneer generation, or I should say your mother was of the pioneer generation. Yes. And it originally occurred out of necessity. My father worked at a state park about an hour and a half away and the state park would always open in May but school would always go through till the end of June. And so my mom wanted to try and homeschool us so that we could all move together for those first, that first month and a half and be together at the state park on Lake Champlain. And so the first year it was sort of, you know, how's this going to work? Is, is this something we want to do so we can spend more time together as a family? And then it just, we never went back really. So, and I, I often reflect or I query how it is for families that aren't twins, because I always had a cohort. I always had a classmate, you know, yes. <laughs> same grade, same age. We would work together on projects. We'd learn together. Sometimes we do our own things, but yeah, I always had someone to bounce ideas off of and problem solve with. So okay, sometimes so I beg the question. I don't get to ask. I have met a handful of um, people my own age that have been homeschooled, but I get asked the question, what about socialization yeah. all the time? Yeah. And except this year, <laughs> Everybody, everybody's asking about that this year, but what would you, what has been your response or what has been your thoughts? Cause clearly you're identifying what we all know is that, listen, they don't need 25 kids the same age as them so they can rub shoulders with that many kids, but, or what's your experience? Teresa, I'm so glad you brought this up because I think there's always the risk of being homeschooled and being isolated and being void of socialization. But if you're a healthy, happy family and a healthy, happy kid, so socialization will always occur. And for my sister and I growing up, you know, I had my friend that I horseback rode with. She had her friends that she did ballet with. We didn't even really have the same friends, but our socialization was always shared among similar passions, similar interests. And so the people we were around in our life, we already shared core values. Right. And that created such a great foundation for any friendship or any bond. And those were just kids that were our age. We also grew up at a ski hill. So we were exposed to all kinds of friends that were our mother's age or younger than us. And, and so we really learned to connect with people of all ages. Yes. And sometimes I look at children in school today and they're all stuck together just because they're the same age. They might have nothing in common. They might have no respect for each other. I mean, I'm just speculating. I'm not trying to be negative. Um, but I actually think that growing up being homeschooled was one of the best things for me socially. And I was also liberated from these very petty social patterns yeah. that I find people carry yeah. through their entire lives. You know, jealousy or um being focused on hierarchy and accomplishment and vanity. I mean, I really think that growing up where I did, when I did, I learned to connect with people and value people for who they were, whatever that was, whether they were quirky or funny or mean or nice, it didn't matter. We were all just who we were. And there was a lot of freedom and support to be that. That is beautiful. That is really good to hear <laughs> that. I mean, I have heard that before, but this is always like the number one thing that yeah. people ask about. Um, homeschool families typically ask about academics and, you know, certain people will ask, how do they get an education? But that one I'm never worried about. And I'm not worried about the socialization one. The one yeah. that I have found the most challenging is dealing with stuff that I struggle with, like my own internal struggles and see pro me projecting my issues onto my children, which I also do with my husband and anybody significant. But that's the stuff that's hard. And it can be hard because I want to say I'm always with them, but that's not really true. Actually, people think we're always with our kids as homeschoolers, but they quickly gain independence and want to go do their thing. But it's the internal work. And I know that that's everybody's, every parent's experience. That's not just homeschool parents experience, yeah. but we just get the opportunity of not having as many breaks as yeah. even though those breaks might not be 
scattered with spa visits for those that are not at home doing homeschooling. They have their different concerns and issues and challenges. And, but we are with them all the time. So then it's like, there's not a break. Then we just look at the behavior um, of our child that we might be frustrated with or our reaction to that behavior and just get frustrated with it and stay with the frustration instead of breaking the cycle of, okay, what are you going to do about this uncomfortable feeling that I'm having? So anyways, it spurs a whole bunch of internal work. Absolutely. Do you have any examples of situations you've been in? No, none. I regret. No, I have. Sorry. (laughs) 30 minutes ago. (laughs) No. Ah. Well, the truth is that for the last number of years, I'm going through the process of recognizing that just because my child is being disrespectful, like they're saying something that really is nasty, is really not kind. The tone is really not right. And then when you're around them, sometimes when you're around your child long enough, you adultify them or you expect Mm -hmm. them to act mature because you're the socializing one. You're the one that's like, you're 12. I know you're 12, but you know that we don't talk like that. And so my instinct is to take offense and think, okay, you just hurt my feelings, but maybe that's true. And at the same time, that child probably is not doing it for the intention of hurting your feelings. They're just not matured in how they're approaching something yet so they say that thing I feel triggered I react to their thing or I can stop and say that is my reaction to that kind of behavior it does hurt me it does offend me but if I react to that I'm only giving it fuel anyways and I'm not really helping that child consider another way of approaching something but my my reaction fuels it and I don't actually I I would say come to peace with people that aren't always kind yeah and and that one that one by the way is the biggest one for me yeah um and yes I could give you literally a book of other things (laughs) yeah yeah it's interesting this comes up because I've found I've had years of practice with this as a practitioner because I think that life has a way of showing us mirrors in all kinds of ways. And certainly we don't always want to see it, Um, whether it's through our children, through our relationships, for me, through my patients. Um, And I guess something that's always helped me navigate that is to pause (laughs) and, and question, what is it that I'm craving? You know, if you're, if your daughter or child or partner is reflecting something that you know, or you're projecting onto them, you know, maybe it's actually you're wanting a hug or you're feeling unheard and, or you're feeling unsupported. I mean, who knows what myriad of emotions we could be feeling. And, and I do find that if I'm feeling frustrated or unheard or maybe just hungry, (laughs) you know, sometimes I have to step back and go, okay, what am I craving? What am I needing in terms of support? And most likely whatever is happening in my face that I'm uncomfortable with, they're needing what I'm needing too. Right. That's so and true. Yeah. So I've found that that can be helpful. It's not always easy in the moment, um, but it can. Yeah. I, for me, where I came from, we didn't identify emotions. So there wasn't a discussion of emotions. It wasn't a thing. There was a lot of anger in our home. There was a lot of trauma in our home. And there was only one person that was allowed to be angry. And then everybody else was trying to make sure that the environment was okay. So that didn't happen. That was how I grew up. I actually have this compelling sort of, to write a book about how we engage as um, homeschool parents and the experience of trauma and how you try to work out your trauma as your homeschool parenting. But that would be kind of scary, to be honest, to write that. But I've got a bunch of stuff written on that. I'm processing that. And I can see that that is a ripe scenario for a lot of inner work. If you're going to be parenting, especially when you're homeschooling and you're with your kids. And so I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. I didn't really even identify that I had emotions. I think I was 30 when I started realizing I have an identity outside of being what everybody else wants me to be. Yeah. 
And at that point, it was a boundary discussion for me in my life. And I had to establish boundaries. And it started with my husband, then my parents, then the church that I was in, and then it was community. And it kept working its way out. And I've learned that underneath our uncomfortable emotions is need. Like you Mm -hmm. said, it's an underlying need that we haven't addressed. And um, oftentimes it's about how we're relating to ourselves, not so much what other people can do for us. You had said something about that being your biggest self-care practice was you being compassionate compassionate towards yourself I would love to hear more about that well it's so funny because you had asked you know what do you do for self-care and you know in my brain I'm like well I do this and I do this and I do this and I do this and I do that and then I was like what the like at the end of the day the biggest thing I feel like I can do for myself or for anybody is really be honest and compassionate with myself on uh, what do I need for self-care? What is going to be nourishing? And is it going to bed early instead of doing yoga? Probably. (laughs) Is it, you know, is it, is it actually just giving yourself permission to be tired or to be sad? Yeah. Have an yeah, if we as women, I feel we carry, we carry a lot. And we are so intuitively self sacrificing, whether it's for our children, or for our husband, or for our communities, or for our clients, or whatever it is, we're so willing to put ourselves aside and, and take care of who's crying in front of us. And I think that that's a great strength. But I also think we have to look out for ourselves because of that. Yes. And so I think for me, the best thing that I do for myself is just be honest, you know, am I really tired? Maybe I don't have the energy to go for a hike, even if I feel like I need to be in better shape or (laughs) whatever. In, In Chinese medicine, we joke that should is a swear word. And I think there's such a tendency in our modern society to feel like we should be in better shape, or we should be doing this, or we should be doing more. And, and that's not helpful. And it's not nourishing. It's exhausting. And so for me, it's a lot about, you know, what, what is actually genuinely going to nourish me in this moment or in this day. So what is your story to understanding some of these things? Oh, that's a big question. (laughs) That's your book, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I could give you a quick Cole's notes. Uh, that is how I did high school. You yeah. go. <laughs> I'm not yeah. proud, but I'm telling you it's true. <laughs> right. You did it. You did it. <laughs> um, I mean, to be honest, there were a lot of things I was exposed to at a young age. Uh, tai Chi, Qigong, skiing, being homeschooled, lots of time outside, connecting yes. with nature. And so my father left when I was 12 and my mom would have been 33 with two 12 year old girls. And so I, there was a whole bunch of books, philosophical books lying around the house, the Tao Te Ching, um, Eckhart Tolle. Uh, So I started reading those texts around the age of 12. Wow. And so I feel like it's been a long road. I mean, yeah. when I'm thinking about your mom, she's 33. She yeah. has 12 year olds and yeah. she has a lot on her plate yeah. and she's doing a whole bunch of self-exploration. So I'm gathering that she's probably also been sharing this with you and engaging you in a way that you're able to learn or yeah. an adult. Yes, I think there was also... Uh, she was struggling having just ended a 14 year relationship and, you know, being left. So in a lot of ways she was growing and evolving, but she was also in some ways unavailable. And so that created um, a space or a forced uh, growth. Right. For me, I survival really. Yeah. And for me, I wanted to make sense of things in a way that I could 
be at peace. And I think that that's what I was really learning. You know, how can I reconcile challenges in life or, you know, unexpected, unexpected devastation emotionally. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was through a lot of Eastern philosophies and self-help books that I established tools that continue to help me navigate challenges in life. That is the gift of those challenges. Truly it is. You know, I don't know about you, but I didn't think it was all that much of a gift for a very long time. And, and yet I can see now that the depth of connection that you can make with other people it's much deeper and you feel other people's feelings be, not, I mean, you can do it in an unhealthy way, but you can do it in a way that's authentically compassionate towards other people because you felt those feelings. But when you talk about being compassionate with yourself, that one took me a full adulthood to understand that this is like the basic, this is the basic building block to be able to really connect with your kids or to figure out how to deal with the struggles with them. It's about how you are relating to you. Yes. And I see that in my daughter, if I'm having a day where I'm frustrated or cranky or PMSy, you know, I see her being a little crankier. And, and of course there's such sponges to our energy and, and it's challenging that they reflect us so clearly, but it's also a really good barometer because we can lose track of when we are out of balance because we get so focused on family or careers. And, and so checking in and noticing, Oh, she's a little off today. And how have I been around her? It's, it's a, it is a real gift, even though it doesn't always feel like it. (laughs) Yeah. It's, you know, for me, I think I had to learn that those uncomfortable feelings because I was around so much of it. I felt saturated by it. I wanted to flee from anything that was like that. And yes. that is my adult experience as well. It's my instinct to, to not want to experience it from other people, but mostly I don't want to be the person that feels those feelings or allow my kids to see me feeling those feelings. However, I've learned that's not normal. That's not human. You're a human and you have these feelings. So then you need to figure out what's your process. What are you going to do when you're feeling those feelings? And so what is your process? Oh, it's so interesting hearing you say that because I couldn't agree more in terms of those sensations of discomfort when we're feeling off and, or someone else around us is grieving or whatever it is they're going through that makes us uncomfortable. And that's been a long road for me as well. And I had a lot of training through our Chinese medicine school here in town that was oriented around counseling. And so that helped me develop skills to have a bigger container for myself and also for my patients, which I see that come through in having space and a bigger container for my daughter and for my husband as we navigating navigate these new challenges as new parents. Right. Um, I think for me, um, you know, I've, I've been quite athletic my whole life. And so learning to be comfortable in discomfort, whether it's cardio discomfort or um, being scared, climbing, you know, learning to find peace within those uncomfortable situations. And I think it's the same emotionally where, I mean, you can want to crawl out of your skin when you're facing these bigger emotions, whether it's anger or sadness. And again, like I said before, I think if we can have time to pause and breathe and realize as uncomfortable as it is, it's not, we're not in danger. Haha. Yes. That's the key, isn't it? Yeah, because it, it feels, feels dangerous. Like yeah. yeah. And if we've grown up as you have around a yeah. lot of trauma, and it was same actually for me, dangerous. Yeah. it was actually dangerous. And for yeah. me, you know, when my mother was not as available, it, yeah. it was dangerous for me to lose it because I had to hold it together for right. myself and for the family. And so yeah. it took a long time to be in a place now where I can recognize, you know, okay, I'm just angry. It's not a danger to me it's not a danger to my family and so then you can work with exiting that you know fight and flight state and entering a more rest and digest state in your nervous system where you can activate your your frontal lobe and and hopefully enter some logical thinking 
Right. That's not available when we're in a fight or flight state. Right. Yeah. I feel like that was a long-winded answer. No, it's a great answer. No, (laughs) I love processing this stuff. And I know, I know my community in general, like we as moms, it's a process. Like this literally is a lifelong process. Nobody has this figured fully, especially when you have kids, you're like, okay, then, you know, you get these unexpected personalities. You definitely get all the triggers. Like if you had a a trigger or you had, maybe that's not the right word, but if you had um, a dynamic that looks or feels similar to what you grew up in, and, and I wouldn't just describe one dynamic that I've had. I also experienced that feeling that you're describing, or at least this is how I would describe it as you haven't got your needs met. Yes. And that, I know that one too. And I know a variety of them, but when you have them packaged in things that your kids are doing at different stages, then you're like, okay, I have to figure out how to deal with this. Now, truth between you and me, <laughs> I did not, I did not deal with them. I, I just, it was more me self-centered. How do I get my child to do the thing I need to do or my partner so that I can feel okay. Yeah. And, and then just react, like yeah. react, not be proactive. And yeah. I think really, I mean, I've had many, many earthquakes along the way, but there was a moment last year with a book that I'd read that really spoke to me that this idea of having the perfectly charmed life, like my blog is capturing the charmed life, um, not a thing. And there are the goal of this whole growth or the life thing is growth. And if it's all about growth and learning to love other people is about learning to love other people, then you can't just say, okay, have I checked off all the boxes for my charmed life? And now I'm okay. That that, I actually have been learning that lesson for my entire life. That's not just last year, but there was something last year that happened that I really put it together and recognized, no, I get to be uncomfortable with the uncomfortable. And I can be at ease in a way that I've never been at ease with the most uncomfortable feelings. And, and like you said, build that compassionate thing. Actually, one of my words right now is nurture and it is nurture myself. Yeah. I think it's a very similar energy to what you're referring to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think how liberating, you know, if we can take these situations that normally get a hold of us and we can realize we're not in danger and nurture ourselves, we can have a lot more freedom to not be reactive and to be proactive. Right. And so we're really just taking, I don't want to say control, but we're taking governance back in a way, which is, which is great because then we can move forward instead of from a place of reaction, we can move forward in a very conscious state. And I had a, a friend ask me, a few weeks ago, how do I know I'm not screwing up my kids? And I'm like, okay, well, I think we literally all do. And it's a harsh way of saying something, but reality is we do. None of us are godlike in our um, expressions towards our kids or we're not clean. We always make mistakes. Yes. And at the end of the day, I think what she was really saying when I was really talking back and forth with her, I was learning that she is aware that she's making mistakes that she shouldn't be making, but she keeps doing them because she doesn't know how to deal with the thing. And, and it's a, you know, a big dynamic as it often is when a child is 16 or 17, not always, but it it is in the scenario. And so then she's feeling it for her child and I'm feeling it for her, but I'm like, okay, so where are you at? Like, what are you feeling? And what is, what are your triggers or what is it that you think you need to get a grasp on? Because if you're looking for perfection in your parenting, keep looking, it ain't happening. Yes. And, but I actually think they're placed in our lives so that we can learn from them, our kids, and we are placed in their lives so they can learn from us. And this whole thing is a growth thing anyway. So don't worry about the messing them up thing because we're, we're all about growth here anyways. But, but to take ownership of whatever the thing is deep underneath there, that, that is the work. And I can't do that for somebody else. No, no. has to unravel it. Well, and I mean, sometimes it sounds ridiculous, but if I get a zit or a blemish, I'm like, oh, great. You know, like, 
sometimes we're looking for imperfections in other people and, and the world around us so that we can feel okay about the imperfections in ourselves. And I mean, that's just something visual, but we are all messed up and not yeah. in a bad sense. It's, I've been exploring this uh, Japanese philosophy called Kintsugi. I probably butchered the pronunciation, but it's that you can add value to, to mending, to, you can add value to a piece of pottery that's broken by mending it. And so I love this idea that we can add value to ourselves by mending our broken pieces. And mm -hmm. that actually it's the mending of these broken pieces that creates our unique beauty. Right. And the challenges that I've been through as uncomfortable and humiliating or difficult as they were, those scars are part of who I am now and they become part of our beauty. Yes. And I think we have such a hard time letting go and you know it sounds like this friend of yours I don't know her but you know a 16 year old is going to be a 16 year old yeah you that's know, hard yeah. when actually you're a 16 year old because you're like yes. what am I doing wrong <laughs> <laughs> but, but you can't read about you yeah <laughs> well that's it and you not can't usually. read <laughs> yeah not usually exactly a and they bit. have to stretch their own legs in clumsy ways and you can't rein that energy in I remember being a teenager wow <laughs> so I uh, I think it's a really good practice when we can to relinquish control and acknowledge that we can only do the best we can even even if that's not great sometimes it's it's we can only do the best we can in in the time that we have yeah so, beautiful yeah. Beautiful. I want to back up a little bit and explore the discussion about acupuncture, Chinese medicine. These are treatments that you um, share that you do for yourself. But yeah. until you, I can't remember, I might have had one treatment before that. And it was so powerful. Like, I didn't, I come from a a Western medical model as an RN and married to a doctor and I live here in this part of the world, but then having explored or experienced it a bit, I am amazed at how effective it is. Profoundly better than an Advil. It, you come away feeling like um, a certain kind of buzz almost. Yeah. And, and yeah, tell me more about that. I think this is a very unexplored experience or therapy for a lot of people. Yeah, maybe not in our town, but other places. Right, definitely. Well, what I how I like to describe it is, you know, if you get a cut, your body heals. You don't do anything. You don't look at your cut finger and tell it to heal up. It just does it naturally. And so with acupuncture and Chinese medicine, we're harnessing our body's own ability to maintain homeostasis, to maintain balance, to be healthy. That's where our body wants to be. That's where it thrives. But things can interfere with that, whether it's stress or diet or an injury. All of those things can interfere with our body's own ability to be balanced and be healthy. And so with Chinese medicine, we're, we're just sort of going in and fine tuning. You know, we're redirecting traffic where it needs to be redirected. We're um, bringing attention to areas that were maybe forgotten. And you're just taking that natural innate wisdom to heal <laughs> and and bringing it to areas that that need care uh, yeah so yeah what would you recommend to moms then would you suggest go once a month if you can I know it if you can definitely I mean I'm a bit I definitely if you can if you have time and resources to invest in treatments Absolutely. It can be so beneficial, not only for treating an illness that might already be present, but also to prevent future illnesses. So, and it also, like you said, it helps you restore that sort of buzz, that, that sense of wellness that yes, exactly. sometimes we lose sight of <laughs> being moms. Yeah, um, you even think about it. Yeah, absolutely. We just get stuck in, you know, what we're doing. Doing stuff. So, yeah. And so needles can be really intimidating for some people. And I would encourage everyone to try it at least once. You know, if you're if it's your first time with acupuncture, the practitioner will use minimal needles and to maximize the treatment. So, you know, if you have any fears or qualms around that, it's really worth just 
trying because the needles are so fine and sometimes they can be strong, but sometimes you don't feel them at all. So it's worth, it's worth a try. <laughs> I, think but, I, was, I was so trained in that Western model of yeah. ignoring anything that wasn't Western because it wasn't, I don't, I don't know, actually, maybe I shouldn't say that. Maybe it was research, double blind trials, controlled, randomized, blah, blah, blah. And, right. and all of that. And I don't say that that's not valuable. Of course it's valuable. And if I were in a major vehicle accident on the side of the road, I'd probably head to emerge first, but, but long would recommend that. Yes. And, <laughs> I love that. And you recommend that. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> or you could go to the naturopath, but the <laughs> thing is <laughs> those it's about not dealing just with injury or, um, you know, medical challenges, but actually trying to sustain your wellness over the course of time and to actually provide things for your wellness that you wouldn't be getting in an eMERGE visit. Yes. Yeah. And to be honest, one of the best benefits of a treatment, especially as a mom or a homeschool mom or any mom or anyone for that matter, is having an hour to be on the table. And that time is dedicated to you and to your wellness. And I think that even just taking that time out of your week or your day to just lay and receive a treatment is, is so powerful. It's so therapeutic. So whether it's acupuncture you're drawn to or massage or cranial sacral or physio, I mean, whatever pulls you, I do think it's important for overall health mentally and physically to get treatments, you know, maybe it's once a month, maybe it's once every two months, whatever is possible. It, it, I notice a difference in my own moods and health. So, so when and of course that, I noticed, pardon, you were saying that as well, that that's yeah. something that you do regularly as well for yourself. Yes. Yes. And I have a bit of a trade cycle with other uh, practitioners in town because we want to look out for each other because otherwise we don't get treatments. No, you'll be the last <laughs> person to do it. Exactly. And yeah. so that's been really exciting as well, because it helps you remember what it feels like to be on the table and, and get needles and get a treatment. And so it also, I mean, it's almost professional development in a way, right. working with other practitioners and their styles. And yeah, it's, it's very beneficial. So how do you create white space in your, in your experience? Because you have a child at home, you work as well. So how do you create space for yourself as a mom? Ooh, well, I find nature incredibly nourishing. I know you talked about nourishing being yes. your word. And so for me, even if that's being outside with my daughter, and even though that can be distracting and requires energy, I still find that in a sense, white space for myself because I am outside in the breeze or the sun or the snow, whatever the elements snow are. Today. <laughs> yeah, or the snow today. I find it really grounding being out in nature. and so. To me, that's always a priority. And if I can share that with my daughter, great. If I need it on my own, that's great too. Um, but that's a that's definitely my number one, being outside. Me too. Yeah. We live in a beautiful place to do that. We certainly do. What kind of fun things do you like to do that are outside of your family or things that are just you? I, really enjoy, I really enjoy rock climbing. And also ideal in our area. <laughs> yes. And I love doing that with, I have some close girlfriends that I like to do that with. And yeah. I find it physically challenging, mentally challenging. There's always good teamwork required. You know, you're putting your life in someone else's hands. So it's a good exercise in trust and communication. And yes. so that's something that I really, really enjoy. It does usually require a fair amount of time. So I haven't been doing it as frequently but it's definitely something that I love to do for myself with with a girlfriend yeah you have so many great um self-care resources I guess I mean at your fingertips yeah. literally have the outdoors right outside your door yeah. and that. but yeah. but even the framework that you have about how to engage your challenges and yeah. um and the physical aspects that you're taking care of yourself. Are yeah. there, have there been any unexpected challenges as you began parenting, especially in the last year? I don't know. Maybe that was just another challenge for you. For me, I was like, what is this? Yeah. 
Well, the, my labor was very, very difficult. Was it? <laughs> yeah, it was long and, you know, everything that we kind of hoped we wouldn't have to do, we ended up doing, which right. I am completely Plus. at peace with. I'm fine yeah. with it. But it was just one of those things you're like, oh, I hope I'm not puking. Okay, now I'm puking. You know? yes. <laughs> and so that was just, of course, you can't prepare for that. It just right. is what it is. So I found that uh, exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. And- <laughs> uh, and long and and I kind of thought I'd like love it and it'd be all raw and primal and natural and like I really was not looking forward to it but I was anticipating these really visceral challenges and almost relishing in it and uh yeah it was not <laughs> I gotta tell you I like you more that you were like what was that <laughs> yeah totally I know welcome to womanhood <laughs> yeah you're like yes, how is everyone ever like how's every mom in the history of forever done this, exactly. this how have people been born yeah. <laughs> yes. why did the species really no I do um, know I really I really know and by the time my third daughter was born she wants to be an actress and I don't find it coincidental that her labor was very dramatic but it was very dramatic I had no contraction for an hour and a half I had irregular labor for six weeks I went to the uh, obstetrical unit three times with like I did perinatal nursing before and my husband delivered babies I'm sure they were like not believing that when we go into obstetrics they're like sorry but you're not anywhere near anything but no contraction for an hour and a half then I had the biggest contraction I've ever had out of all the babies and then I go it completely stops again so then I go into obstetrics and they accidentally accidentally rupture my membranes and 20 minutes later I'm on all fours delivering her and it was the most rip-roaring labor I've ever had I do not recommend a labor without epidurals oh my god <laughs> I'll be the only person that says that in our town maybe but right. I was like how yeah. Do babies get born, even though this was my third, but that was my first without an epidural. <laughs> I had another one. Very brave well, of me. I had another one. But when I had another one, I had two epidurals. Anyway, that's what so, yeah. yeah, I enjoy you more knowing that you did not think this was a fabulous woman experience. Yeah. There's like that whole amnesia thing and you forget what that no. It kept taking me longer to get to the next baby, but I knew I wanted a fourth. I always wanted four. And then when my husband who does anesthesia jokes with the other anesthetist that just gave me an epidural that mom, she says it's not quite working and they're kind of teasing each other. And I'm like, okay, pardon me, get me another epidural. Yeah, I know where this is going. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I've been here before. (laughs) Not recommending epidurals for every baby, but that twice. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can I just go back like a little bit? I just wanted to touch very briefly on what you had said about your daughter behaving a bit disrespectfully and how difficult that can be. And in all this time we've been chatting, I've reflected a bit on how difficult I can be for my husband sometimes, but it's only because I know we love each other so much and we're not going anywhere. And so sometimes we're our ugliest with those that we love the most. Absolutely. And it's actually my son, not my daughter. And an absolute charmer in public. Yes, yes. <laughs> Sometimes I think that it would be really useful if he was in a school scenario at times. And this is the only reason, because there would be a peer pressure to not talk like that to your parent when you're at home. And my daughter that did go to school this year really did, did a, she did a flip where she was very careful how she speaks to us. And I think that's a peer pressure. That is the only peer pressure I think in school that's really useful. Really productive. And, yeah, you just don't talk like that to the uh to your parent or your uh, you know authoritarian or not authoritarian but an authority type role that's right maybe that's not the right word but anyway I know what you mean yeah yeah it has been so much fun chatting with you I don't want this to end but I know that I I have to because I don't have enough space on here yeah but it has been such a pleasure chatting with you I want to close the conversation by asking you a couple of fun quick questions that let's see let's see I haven't prepped you on a couple of these what have you learned with your child this week our 18 month old on it 
copyright. Yeah. And when it all came, like when we actually went to get on and she just was so happy. She didn't cry. She was so excited and she just loved it. And so it was kind of one of those moments where we planned ahead and prepared her. And then wow. this, what could be a, a difficult situation was just absolutely delightful. So beautiful memory. Really you moment. will definitely remember that one. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, the first time I went up on a ski, a ski, I, I don't down, downhill ski, which is pretty clear because I can't even, the ski seat that you go off the mountain. Yes, okay. yes, chairlift. You, you would think that I have been around skiing people for a long time now. Anyway, I did not know that they didn't strap you in. And so I brought, oh. I did not know. So I had my eight month old in my lap, almost oh. dropped him. Yeah. Oh so. my goodness. Yes. I can't believe they let you on. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> you should have a parenting license for this stuff. Yeah. So oh. we don't downhill ski. Good yes. thing. Keep our children alive. So what's on your yes. bookshelf right now? Oh, <laughs> I've actually been reading a lot of textbooks. Fun. So one of them is the Shang Han Lun, and it's all about treating illnesses that come about in the winter and like common colds and influenzas and stuff like that. So. Rather handy timing, I would say. Yes, yes, <laughs> definitely. Kind of boring, but it's fun. Yes, a homeschool kid grown up actually reads textbooks. Excellent. Right. Not right. what I was expecting you to say. <laughs> and you said yeah. um, you really enjoy good coffee. I'm curious, what's your favorite coffee? Oh, I do love Oso Negro's Messy Room. Messy Room. Good. Okay. I like yeah, the dark chocolate, but we live here. Yeah, Oso is amazing. Oh, I love it. Yeah, love yeah. it too. It has been a real pleasure to have you on today. So thank you for your, you know, for your full engagement. You're fully connected and sharing everything and being vulnerable with all of us. Very much appreciated. Well, I appreciate that you do this and thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. It's been delightful. Thank you for joining me today. I would love to hear more about who you are. So come on over to my Facebook or Instagram page, Homeschool Mama Self-Care. I've recently opened a Homeschool Mama support group with the intention of supporting and encouraging you on your homeschool journey, and also hoping that you would want to encourage and support other Homeschool Mamas too. While you're there, you can check out the release of my new book, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, Nurturing the Nurturer. I've been really grateful for all of the positive feedback, but even more grateful in how it's impacting and encouraging the homeschool mom. You'll also find the show notes and links to everything you've heard in this episode at www.capturingthecharmlife.com. Please subscribe to this podcast and share this podcast with your homeschool mama friends. When you rate and review this podcast, you're helping other moms find me. Until next time, I wish you and your kids a charmed week. Unless you're having one of those weeks, then I wish that you can turn all your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. <laughs>